0: Before we uh, jump in this morning, i got a quick question, um, not so much a question, but just, just curious, how many people in the room right now are teachers? Like you're teaching, whether you're actively teach, especially if you're actively teaching or you know, some of your retired teachers, uh, would you stand if you're a teacher? And then also, too, if you're in here and you're a student of any age, anywhere from kindergarten, even if you're in all the way through college, would you stand as well, too? Um, the reason we're doing this, just real quick, is we are back to school. Uh, my kids started back to school Friday. I know some of the other districts are starting this week. But before we jump in this morning, I just want to take a moment, look around the room, see the people who are standing—teachers, students alike. We should take a moment and pray real quick over our, our teachers and students as they jump back in. Uh, so would you would you join me as we, we do that? Father, we're so thankful for uh, these these folks that are standing right now. God, we're grateful, especially for our teachers. Grateful uh, for the impact that they have on the lives of our next generation. And I pray, Lord, as they uh, they, they follow the steps that you've laid out in front of them, they follow the uh, the plans that they have for the year, God, that they would be a, an example for the, those kids and those teens and, and those, those younger students that they have, that they would just be a... a, a whatever they need in their lives. It would be a foundation that points people to Jesus and in, in a world that wants to point them away from Jesus. In, in, a, in a system that doesn't teach them anything about the word, Lord, they could show them what Jesus is like. God, for the students that are standing around the room too, God, they would, would be able to shine your light and make an impact in the kingdom that they're, they're a part of. God, they would be influential in their friends' lives and, and help bring them to know more about you. God, we just pray for, for the teachers and students alike as we get into this school year. It'll be a good year, be a strong year, be a growing year for all of them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So kind of on that note, uh, this is, uh, was back to school week. Kind of mentioned that uh, if, if the last couple of weeks have been pretty busy for us, if you're a parent, especially with kids that are old enough to be active, you might be able to relate to this. Uh, now, we're, we're two weeks now into soccer season, so we, we're back to regularly scheduled practices. Uh, we started off three nights a week. It, it switched to two nights a week. One of them was, had a Wednesday night practice. That's my, my sixth grader. She was going to go to Wednesday night soccer practice and then immediately come here for, you Now she's in youth group. Thankfully, her coach moved that to Tuesdays, uh, which means we've got two practices at the exact same time, 10 miles apart. Uh, you know, so it's, it's either a divide and conquer or it's a drop-off Amelie with her friends and they take her to practice and I take Elsie to practice because we don't know anybody on her team yet. And, uh, you know, we've got that Tuesday nights. We've got practice Friday nights. Jennifer typically works into the evening on Thursday nights. We've got soccer anywhere from Friday evening to all day Saturday to Sunday evening. We've got church. We've got all sorts of stuff. And school started. Which on the one hand is a good thing because now my children aren't in my house all day long. But on the other hand, it's a new routine. We've got a middle schooler this year. And even though the school is two blocks from the grade school, the drop-off time is like 30 minutes before. So it's this whole new system of learning which direction to go. Because, you know, you have to go in one specific direction to go to the drop-off line. And if you don't, you will get glared at by parents like me because you're not following the rules in the drop-off line, you know but go to drop off at the middle school and then come back and kill 30 minutes and then go drop off in the grade school line and then come to work and then leave to go pick them up and the same thing, rinse and repeat. All of this, school and drop off and soccer practice and on the go and family stuff, it's exhausting. Parents, can any of you relate? <laughs> this is, it's exhausting. Let me ask you a question. How many times do some of you just feel spent? Like, you just feel, I'm just toast right now. You know, you, you you just can't catch up, and it might not even be a sleep issue. You know, sometimes you miss the night of sleep, or you get to bed really late, or have to get up really early, it can throw you off, but you're like, no, I'm in a good routine with that, and I'm just tired, just tired all the time. Maybe maybe you're not in the season of life that I'm in. You know, maybe your kids are growing. I know some of you are empty nesters, but actually we're just talking out front with Bob and Amy, empty nesters as of yesterday. Some of you just sent your kids off to college or or they've just moved out. You're in that new stage and you're still like, I'm just exhausted all the time. Maybe you're keeping up with grandkids or whatever it may be. and, And we just wonder, why is that? I think there's a few reasons. I think one, the most obvious reason is we're in a society that is just so accomplishment driven right now. Everything is about what you can get done. And social media hasn't helped this because we see what everybody else is getting done and doing. So we think we've got to, you know, kick it up a notch, whether that's a promotion at work or whether that's a trip that somebody got to take or just, well, oh man, they're, they're building a new deck on their house. I probably should do that too. Mine looks pretty bad. You know, it's like these things that we think we have to do all the time and it keeps us on the go. Or maybe you're from a generation or you grew up in a certain place where it's like you just were expected to be busy and to be working, and if you weren't, you were wasting time. I used to help my every once in a while out in his shop. I kind of got fired from that job after a few times, but probably because of the things that I'm about to make an example of. But, you know, he would uh, have that great line if he caught me kind of, you know, leaning over like this. He'd have that line about, if there's time for you to lean, there's time for you to what? Clean. To clean, yeah. Time to lean, there's time to clean. Or sometimes I'd be sitting like this and he'd go, You know, that table can hold itself up. You know, it's the whole point was, You're here, let's get to work. And maybe that's a mentality that some of you have, that you just need to be busy all the time. And it's hard for you to just take time and stop. But let's be honest, at the end of the day, all of us need rest. Right, we're starting a new teaching series today called Be Still. Uh, It's a four-week series. We're going to start it today, go over the next few weeks. And what we're going to do is spend all four weeks looking at one thing in the Bible. And that one thing is what I think might be the most forgotten commandment that God gives us. Exodus chapter 20, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. You remember the old movie with Charlton Heston walking down the mountain holding the two stones? And right in the middle of those commandments, he gives maybe the longest of all of them. In Exodus 20, verse 8, he says, Remember the Sabbath day... By keeping it holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it's the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall do no, uh, not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. I think there's a misconception when it comes to Sabbath. And the reason I say I think it's one of the most, maybe the most forgotten of all of, of the commandments is because we think about Sabbath as just this nice day off now. You know, or maybe it's a weekend off or whatever it may be. We're going to get more into the, the, the how as we get into this series. Today's more about the what. But we think about Sabbath, I think it's, you see somebody and you're like, well, it'd be nice to have a day off every once in a while. It'd be nice just to be able to lay on the couch like, like that. It would be nice to just go to the lake for the weekend? We think in this our heads like it's this grand thing you've earned because you've worked really hard for it. It's really not the case. In like fact, I would say it like this. Sabbath is not a luxury. Sabbath's a command. It's something we're told in Scripture to do, to observe it, to obey it, to follow it. And God gave us an example for how to do this. We see Jesus ultimately several times in the Gospels retreating by himself, to just take time to be with God. And I think when we look at Sabbath and we look at the commandment side of it, it's interesting if we just look at the commandments in general. Like, like here's the Ten Commandments. And this is, you know, again, kind of my real quick version of each commandment. There's a little more to them than, than this, uh, just this, but you can see them Have no gods before me. Don't make any idols. Don't use my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Uh, don't steal. Don't lie. And don't covet. And when you look at these, eight of these are don't do's. Two of them are do this. The other eight are don't do this. But when you look at this list, it's kind of fascinating because the first three up here are upward. They are about your relationship with God. Don't put any gods before him. Uh, Don't make any idols. Don't misuse his name. The last six are all outward. They're relationship between you and somebody else. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Don't don't, uh, commit adultery. And look at number four. Right in the not technically right in the middle, but close to right in the middle, is there this one here, remember the Sabbath. There's something fascinating about Scripture that the more I study it, just the more the more I I kind of crack a smile at this, is there's so such intentionality with Scripture. We believe that Scripture was God breathed and man written, that, that God inspired and breathed the words into the hands of man and, and man wrote them out. There's a little more to it than just that, but That's another lesson for another day. But in that, when we read the way things are worded in Scripture, it's so precise why they're worded the way that they are. And here there's three about you and God, and there's six about you and other people, and right in the middle, God says, remember the Sabbath. Why do you think that is? I think it's simple. The fourth commandment is where heaven meets earth. It's where our relationship with God ultimately points outward to our relationship with others. And in Sabbath, by stopping and pausing and resting in him, we are recharged in him so that we then can relate to other people and relate to him even more. That's what this series is going to look at and talk about. Because I think truly that a life that keeps and practices Sabbath is a life that will get you closer to God. And get you more in tune with God and help you understand and relate to him just a little bit more. In her book, uh, Rhythms of Rest, Shelley Miller said, A life built upon Sabbath is uh, contented because in Rhythms of Rest we discover our time is full of the holiness of God. And so over the next few weeks we're going to unpack this. uh, What the Sabbath is all about. We're going to talk about why it's such an important commandment to follow. But I think too, like I said earlier, I think that this is probably the least followed commandment of all. And it's probably not only the least followed, it's the one that we feel the least guilty about when we don't follow it. You do something to hurt somebody else, you're going to feel guilty about that. You realize you put something else before God, you get convicted, you feel guilty about that. We don't follow the Sabbath. It's like, man, I could have used a day off. That's all right. Now, I think there's more to it than this. And, And let me be very transparent from the beginning of this series. I may be preaching to Kurt for four weeks. I, I may just preach this into a mirror because I probably need to hear this more than I need to say this because I'm not very good at keeping this. I, I Just like a lot of you, I can get so caught up in my own busyness that I'm not always very good at truly taking time to Sabbath. And so for me, sometimes I preach things because I need to hear them. <laughs> sometimes I say things because I need to be right there with you learning to do this a little bit better. I think this, that we tend to just get, get pulled in to, to the world around us in terms of it, it telling us that we need to just be on the go. I think sometimes, too, we like to wear our busyness as a badge of honor. The more we're busy, the more important we probably are. And let's be honest, we do like to be known as things like dependable. Dependable and hardworking, and accomplished, and motivated. We like those things. Those sound good because those are good traits to have. We want to be dependable on one another. But sometimes we confuse being dependable with not being able to tell people no. With not being able to say, I just can't do that right now. And we try to wedge one more thing in there on our lives. I think too often, too, we take those things like dependability and, and reliability and accomplishment and hardworking and, and, and just staying busy, and we actually let our self-worth get wrapped up in all of that. Because if somebody's asking for my help, that means I must be good at what I do. So they're wanting me to help more and more. Or we flip it and say, well, I can show them how good I can do stuff if I just go do it and they ask me to do it. Let's stop for just a moment here and think. Think about the consequences of staying busy all the time. Specifically, let's think about the physical and mental and emotional consequences that you can run into when you're busy all the time. If you're catching yourself being overextended, what's that going to lead to? It leads to just fatigue and potentially to burnout. I know for me, I was talking the other day, we were talking in the office, Elsie, my, my oldest, had a, last weekend finally got to celebrate her birthday with her friends. Her birthday was in July, but we finally got to celebrate it last weekend, and she had like six or seven friends come over for a sleepover. And let me just say, I am officially too old to parent a sleepover, <laughs> because we told the girls they had until midnight, which means that you know, it was 1 a.m., and we stayed up to make sure they went to bed, and I was done for the week. And one night, I said, it was only 1 a.m. I used to function on three hours sleep like all the time. And it's like now, you know, one night of getting five hours, it's like, oh, I'm done. I'm toast. The rest of the week, I am completely unreliable. You got a problem, go talk to Stacy. You know, like, she's, she's in charge. You know, she's got the church this week. I can't do it, okay? Go talk to her. But we think about this. What happens when you just get to that point when you hit exhaustion, You're going to find things a lot like finding yourself overextended with obligations and commitments and appointments and responsibilities that that come your way. And that can lead to exhaustion, which can lead to fatigue, which leads to increased levels of anxiety and stress and frustration. Those can lead to feelings of being overwhelmed, which can then lead to even worse feelings like inadequacy or anger or even sadness. They can ultimately tip into little bits of depression. Busyness... Can burn us out. Now, is busyness the only cause of all those things? No, absolutely not. But it can certainly play a factor because when you're constantly running, at some point you're going to run out. If you've ever filled up your car with gas and just took off and drove, at some point what's going to happen if you don't stop and refill it? It's going to run out of gas and then you're going to have to leave it on the side of the road or pay to have it towed. That's what it's like to run nonstop. Now think of it like this for a second here. Because if that can have that kind of a toll on your physical and mental and emotional state, what does it do to your spiritual state? If you're not giving yourself time to rest with God, what's that do to your spiritual nature in your own life? I think it can potentially... Lead to some dangerous places, because the more exhausted you are, the less of a wall you can put up to block the enemy out. I think that's why God showed us what Sabbath is. In Genesis 2, right at the beginning of your Bible, after he's created the heavens and the earth in his six days, it says in Genesis 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and He made it holy because on it He rested from all the work that He had created, work of creating that He had done. He finished His work and He rests. Now think about this for a a second. Here, does God really need to rest? No, He's God. He doesn't wear down. He doesn't wear out. Isaiah chapter forty tells us that. says The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. God doesn't wear out. But here's something that I need to let you know that you probably didn't know yet. You're not God. And I'm not either. And God doesn't grow tired or weary, but we do. We do wear down. Our buckets do get empty. And I think that God wants us to understand that it's okay to stop and to rest, to step back and enjoy the fruits of your labor, or to step back and enjoy the marvels of creation. That's okay. That's why he sent that law to Moses in Exodus chapter 20. Because he knew that for us, our tanks would run empty. He knows that our energy has limits to it. And that sometimes that energy, the limits are lower than other times. And that we need to stop and we need to pause so that we can be refilled and recharged so that we can worship with him and we can fellowship with one another and we can be there for each other. So again, over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. Today's more of an introductory look at this. The next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be in a regular rhythm, to to practice Sabbath with regularity like Jesus did. And then we'll talk about how to resist the temptation that the world's going to throw our way to just be involved and to be accomplished, especially when you're raising kids and there's that pressure to have your kid play everything because they're only a kid once. And then the last week, we're going to talk about why it's all important and pull it all back to the reality that Sabbath actually exists to help us worship God better, to help us get closer to God better. Today, what I want to do instead in the the few minutes we have left is just talk about what rest is and where it comes from. And then ultimately, what it does for us. Because the rest, when we understand that, I think it helps us figure out the rest of what Sabbath is all about. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now to understand the context here, Jesus in Matthew 11 has been talking with some very harsh words, actually some words of judgment and condemnation to people around him. And know this with Jesus. When he spoke in terms of judgment and condemnation, it was towards people who knew better. It was towards people who should be doing something and they're not. And in this case, he is condemning and cursing some towns where he lived. Towns like Capernaum, where he lived and launched his ministry. Or Chorazim, that was just a couple of miles away within walking distance of there. Because they saw Jesus, they knew Jesus, and they weren't following Jesus. They were rejecting him, they were following what the world had to offer. That sounds familiar. It's because what we're seeing in our culture and society right now is nothing new. This has been the case since the time of Jesus. While he was walking the earth, they still looked at each other as if they could provide what, everything that each other needed. They didn't need to turn to God because they had themselves. And you know this. We can be there for one another. I can be there for you. You can be there for each other to an extent. But I'm reminded pretty regularly, I let people down. I'm reminded pretty regularly that I can hurt people without even trying to simply because I'm too focused on what I'm doing or simply because I hit a spot where I'm drained and I'm exhausted and I don't have anything to give in that moment and somebody was relying on it and expecting it from me. And it's the same to you. That's why he says, come to me. Come to me, those of you who are weary and burdened. Anybody ever been weary and burdened? <laughs> probably, probably, if I had to guess, everyone. And he says, I'll give you rest. Because he's the source of that. Yes, we can help each other, but at some point, that runs out. And he goes on to say in the next verse, and to me is fascinating. He says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The first people who heard this would have looked at him and go, "That's that, that makes no sense, Jesus." So, if you know what a yoke is, it's not something you crack and get out of an egg. Okay, a yoke is this big, massive wooden beam that they would put on the back of an ox to plow their fields with. Like it would attach their plows to it and the ox would drag it and plow their fields. A yoke is not light. A yoke is not easy. If anybody would had that put on them, they probably wouldn't be able to stand up with it because it's so heavy and so big. But Jesus says take mine because it's light and it's easy. Now what he's talking about specifically here is he's talking about the law. Because the Jews had the law that was given to them by God through the commandments and that was added to through the books of the law and in the first five books of the Bible. And the law always existed from its very beginning simply to help people follow God better. It was like a set of guardrails that were put up that you might have like in your own relationship with your spouse. Guardrails that are there, rules that are there to protect your relationship. We still have the same thing. We have rules and guardrails to protect our walk in relationship with God. But over the course of time, The Jewish leaders added to those and added to those so much that the law actually became the object of worship. More so than the God, that law was there to protect and became a burden to where people didn't want to follow God anymore because it was really, really hard to do that. And church, sometimes we've done the same thing. We've made it so hard for somebody to worship and follow God because we've just piled more and more on there that we think they need to be doing. And Jesus says, no, take my yoke upon you. Put my yoke on you. My burden is light. Why is his burden light? Because he takes our burdens away from us instead. And his burden that he puts on us is follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. I think sometimes we need to remember that. When Jesus went to the cross, he died, yes, for our sins. He died to redeem us and to restore our relationship with God. But he took our burdens too. He took our burdens with him as well so that we wouldn't have to carry those because he knew that we would. He knew they would be there. He knew there was so much that we were going to face because the world around him faced it too. So what does that rest in Jesus look like? I want to hit on that really quick today and then we'll wrap things up. I think Jesus gives us rest from a variety of things, more than we have time to talk about today. I want to hit on three of them, just quickly hit on three, and I think that'll help us get a little bit of an understanding of what Sabbath rest in him is truly all about. The first is he gives us rest from the world. He knows the world around us is going to be difficult because it was difficult around him. It was difficult for him. It was difficult for his followers. We see how many times his followers turn and walk away because they just can't do it anymore because the world is pulling them. And we see that same thing here today. People will come and they'll follow Jesus for a while and then the world pulls them right back out into the world. He told us in John 16, he says, I've told you things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's always fascinating to me about this statement. So when he's telling his disciples that they're going to have peace in him and that he's overcome the world, he's telling them this as they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that in just a few moments he's going to take all those burdens on him to the point where his body is about to break under the weight of it. And he's sweating drops of blood. He knew what was coming. He knew the burden that he was putting upon his shoulders. He knew he could handle it. He knew we probably couldn't. So he says, trust in me because the world is going to do everything it can to knock you off, to, to sweep your legs out from underneath you, to distract you. I think that's the second rest we get. He gives us rest from the anxieties of life. In him, we get away from that because what the world is going to trouble us with are worries and anxieties, things out of our control, things that we can't do anything about, but they are what they are. Things like how much gas is going to cost? You've got to have it for your car, so it doesn't really matter. You've got to pay it one way or the other. How much milk or beef is going to cost at the grocery store? A medical diagnosis you might get. Things that are happening outside of your control, but they weigh on you, and they're burdensome on you. Just this past week in my family, we had a diagnosis with my uncle that we didn't want to hear. And we know it's a diagnosis there's no coming back from. But we know, too, that Jesus sets us free from those anxieties. And that he invites us to him. And I know with my family, with with where they're at, ultimately we're not worried. We know this is going to take his life, but we know where his life's going to go after that. Because he's made peace with God and he made Jesus a long time ago the Lord and Savior of his life and he's followed him ever since. That's why Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, says, do not worry about your life about what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or soar away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any one of you worry or by, by worrying at a single hour to your life? I love this verse, and I love this imagery. It says, look at the birds of the air. You don't have to really try to see birds. If you're outside, you're going to see a bird somewhere. And what's that bird doing? It's just flying from tree to tree, maybe popping down grabbing a worm or grabbing something. It finds food. I always like to be up in the loft and look out into the woods behind the building because you'll see a deer pop out of there every once in a while. You'll see turkeys pop out every once in a while. You'll see all sorts of things. They don't worry. God takes care of them. Now think about this for just a moment. Of all of creation, What did the one thing God do, the one thing God created, that he chose to bear his image? It's us. It's you. It's me. He created mankind in his image. If he takes care of the birds, and it goes on to say that the lilies of the field and the grass that's here today and gone tomorrow, he takes care of that, how much more is he going to take care of us? How much more is he going to care about you than grass that's here today and gone tomorrow? That's why Jesus finishes out this section by saying, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow can worry about itself. Tomorrow can worry for itself. Jesus invites you to bring those burdens to him. When you find rest in him, I think you get a little bit of a release and a move away from the anxieties that life has for you. And let me just touch on this really quickly because anxiety is such an issue that so many people are struggling with to the point where so many people are even medicated for anxiety. And let me say something if that's you, just just a quick little side note, if if you struggle with anxiety to the point where you take medication for it, that is okay. There is nothing wrong with that. I think God has absolutely blessed our our, our world with the knowledge to create something that can set, can help us with that. So don't don't feel like that makes you less of a person or less of a Christian if you have to do that, because I think anxiety at its core is a deeply, deeply spiritual issue. Just, just let me kind of explain this for a second. Research has shown that our, our brains can fire in hundreds of thousands of directions, sometimes at once. And I'm a great example of this, because I am as distracted as they come. Speaking of the birds of the air, I'm the one, oh bird, there you go, you know. I'm driving down the road, and I look and see something and nearly drive off the road. You know, that's, I'm just distracted. I'm easily distracted. You probably never guessed that about me, you know. I'll sit in my office and sometimes take 30 or 40 minutes just to lock in on one thing. Think about this for just a moment. Our brains are just going constantly in, in several directions. We have a God who wants us to worship him with all of our heart and mind and soul. Would it not make sense that we have an enemy that wants us thinking about everything all at once? Pulling us away from the one thing we should be thinking about. Understand this. We do have an enemy. We do have somebody who wants us to worry about those things that we cannot control. And not just to worry about them in the moment, but to keep worrying and to keep worrying and to keep worrying. To the point where we get completely side railed and completely thrown off track by those. That's why Jesus invites us to give him our burdens. Peter reminds us of that in 1 Peter 5. He says, cast all your anxiety on Jesus because he cares for you. When we rest in him, to me, when when I'm truly able to find Sabbath rest, those things fade. They're still there and they're probably going to be waiting for me when I get back to reality, but they fade. And at least for that time, I'm able to focus on God and just abide in him. Just rest and live in him. But here's the third thing that resting in Jesus gives us. It gives us a rest that endures. It's a rest that persists. It's a rest that goes on, that's beyond just this physical life that we have. Hebrews chapter 4 says since the promise of entering God's rest still stands let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it for we have also found the good news that proclaimed to us just as they did but the message they heard he's talking about the, the people of God the Jewish followers and he's talking about people too who have walked away from from the faith he says the message that they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed now we who have believed enter that rest Just as God said, so I declared on oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. Again, talking about the people who have walked away. Those who believed but went away went a different direction. He goes on to say in verse 9, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Sabbath in the immediate helps us here and now. It helps our mental state. It helps our spiritual state. Ultimately, that can help our physical state too. But ultimately, the ultimate Sabbath rest is what's waiting for us on the other side of eternity. It's what's waiting for us on the other side of that final breath we'll take on earth. And what he's saying here, I think, that this is the way I'm putting this together. Is that Sabbath rest that we can have and experience here if we can truly experience it? And again, we're going to talk more about the the how over the next few weeks. But when we experience that, we just get a small taste of what that eternal rest is going to look like. We get a small taste of what it's like to just be with God. In those moments when we can block out all of our anxieties, all of our worries, all of our cares, all of our schedules, all those things that, that ultimately don't matter we just get a little glimpse and a little taste of of God and a little taste of Jesus that we don't experience on earth any other way. Taking time to pause and Sabbath with our God is necessary. It's commanded. It's something that we need to be doing on a regular basis. And can I just encourage you, over the next few weeks, can you make it a point to be here? Because as we talk more and more about this, I think this is, again, a topic that we don't talk about enough Just because, again, it's a nice convenience for a lot of us. But God didn't make it out to be a convenience. He made it out to be a necessity. So I want to encourage you with something. Make plans to be here the next few weeks. I heard a statement when it comes to Sabbath that I think is important. I think it's it's something we need to remember. It's cliche. I'm going to tell you this off the top. It's cliche. It made me kind of laugh. But then the more I looked at it, I thought this is so true. That Sabbath is not a holiday. It's a holy day. It's a divine appointment that you need to make with God on a regular basis. I just want to encourage you. Be here these next few weeks as we talk more about this so that we can learn to Sabbath on our own so much better. It'll help your spiritual life. It's going to help other aspects of your life, your marriage, your relationships. And if we're all growing, I say this a lot, I think this a lot, if we're all growing richer in our walks with God as a church, we're just naturally going to grow richer as a collective body as well too. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful you showed us what Sabbath is. You gave us the example to follow. God, that we we could take time regularly to rest in you. God, I know it's a hard command to follow for so many different reasons. But God, I I pray that you would remind us it's a command nonetheless and remind us on a regular basis the benefit of of just taking time to spend with you. God, God, I pray that we would get out of our own way We would learn to tell people no. We would see what the point is and what the benefit is as well, too. God, I'm so grateful that you invite us to rest in you. God, I pray right now across this room, across everybody watching online, God, you would just give us, God, give us that desire. Show us what to do. If people don't know how to to take a break, show us how to do it. God, help us find time with you. Pray this in Jesus'
1: name. Good morning. We come to the time of uh, communion, and so if you do not have a cup, if you didn't pick one up on your way to your seat, you you are more than welcome to get up at this time and go pick one up in the back or or over on one of the sides. So, here we are starting a new series on the fourth of the Ten Commandments. And uh, uh, and I know Kurt was just kind of laying the groundwork today of launching into this series. But it's easy for those of us that have been around a bit, you know, and are familiar with the Ten Commandments, and in particular this particular commandment, it's easy for us to think about it in kind of a one-dimensional way that it it is to take a break, it is to relax, it is to eliminate work momentarily and, and just, for lack of a better word, to be idle. But in actuality, that's not what this is all about. I mean, there are elements of that, but there are some other dynamics that are critical, of critical importance. Our our day off has changed. Back in the day in the Old Testament, it was the seventh day, it was on Saturday. But as you recall, Jesus' resurrection took place on a Sunday. The birth of the church in the book of Acts took place on a Sunday. And following that, the first century church met on Sundays. That that was their primary day. For not that they didn't meet any other day, but that was their primary day. And so thus the custom that follows all the way now into the 21st century that we meet on sundays but when when we when we observe keeping the sabbath there is an element of that that is our mind isn't just to disengage and be idle or become a void and just suck in like a vacuum whatever whatever happens to be around or going on in our life because you know how that works if you stop and think about it you know it even happens when you're in a service like this we come toward the end of the service and you recognize okay we're only three or four or five minutes away from the very end of everything. And so all of a sudden your mind starts thinking about what you need to be doing, what you were going to stop and pick up on the way home and have for lunch in order to be there in time for the kickoff. Or or to if, if you actually go to Chiefs games, sometimes maybe you come to an eight o'clock service so you can go and, and you can tailgate. And so those are the kind of things you start thinking about. Do I have everything that I need? Or if you've got a really busy week, with a schedule, appointments, deadlines coming up, or maybe reports of a a, a biopsy or something or other, a test you had medically this past week and you're getting the results of first of the week. It's during times like this that your mind immediately starts going to that. But that's not what is to be happening. This is to be a holy day. And so we fill our minds with things that are holy. Holy. And things that draw us to the Lord, not distract us from the Lord. You know, it's like that greatest command, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, there you have strength. We are to love him with all of our strength. We think about outward things in our life. And so to honor him on this day, you know, in that respect means we kind of rein it in a little bit as far as work is concerned. But what about... Heart, soul, and mind. Those sound a little more inward, below the surface. We are to love the Lord with that too, on the inside, not just the outside. So here's what's to be happening on a day like this, especially at this moment right now. Jesus had said this in the Gospels. I'm reading from Luke chapter 22. He said, It says this, he took some bread And he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He did the same thing with the cup. That's what we're getting ready to observe right now, the bread and the juice. And this is a time when our minds are to be very active, not idle. Not a vacuum, just thinking about whatever happens to pop into our minds. No, we're specifically instructed as to what is to be in our minds right now. And so we kind of need to work at disciplining ourselves to crowd out the things that are competing for our attention and to rifle in on what really matters. And in so doing, to refresh our minds how much we owe Him. We owe Him everything absolutely everything because he gave his everything for us with his death on the cross and if we don't have regular times where we refresh our memory about that then you know how that works that it just kind of we kind of get forgetful and and other things that compete for our attention we become preoccupied with those things and we can easily find ourselves going a day or two days or maybe even an entire week where we hardly have a thought about God because we're so caught up in whatever it is that we're experiencing in our lives, our work or some of the family life or our battles with our health or whatever. And so in His wisdom, the Lord knew we needed a time to refresh our memory. So that we never forget, we owe Him everything. So when you take that bread in a moment, you remember. If visually, you you remember His body being nailed to that cross. You drink from the cup. You remember, even maybe visual images of it, the blood shed on that day not because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time but because he was exactly where you needed him to be he was dying for you in your place let's not ever lose sight of that and that's a big part of what the holy day is all about not that it's the isolated only day of the week that we have thoughts like this but we need it so that it impacts all the other days of the week and the way that we go about living our life by keeping first things first. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your wisdom in knowing what human tendency is and how easily we can get distracted, how short our attention spans are, and so forth. Thank you that reason and many more that you initiated what it is that we're getting ready to do right now at this time to help us to remember what's made all the difference in our lives and in our eternities. Father, thank you for loving us more than we deserve. Thank you for doing for us what was unthinkable. God in the flesh to die on a cross so that we could have life that transcends the here and now we celebrate such great love and it is our prayer Lord that we reflect that kind of love throughout each and every day of our lives It's in our Savior's name we pray, amen.